Uh, let's pray as we look at that. Heavenly Father, help us understand these words of yours and shape our lives by them, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt uh, lost and alone in the world? Um, like you're in isolation or something like that? Uh, as they were saying, it may be the case for us. We may get told that that's what we've got to do. As yet, we don't have to. But there's a woman from Ohio in, uh, in America who felt that loneliness and isolation during this week. She felt like everything had been taken away from her. She was all by herself and she was in big trouble. She felt like she needed help. And so she called the emergency services, 911. She had a big problem. Her parents had cut off her mobile phone service. And so using the landline, of all things, she called 911. And she demanded the police come to her house because it was an emergency. She was all alone. No mobile phone reception. Now, here she is at 36 years of age. Saloni Katapel was still living at home. Her parents apparently paying her phone bill. Um, they'd gone out and they'd cancelled her phone plan. Apparently, she'd run up a big bill. And so she called 911. They said to her, what do you think? Please don't call us unless there is an actual emergency. So she hung up, regretfully. But there was an actual emergency two hours later. She called back. Hello, I have an emergency. Yes, what's your emergency? My mobile phone's not working because my parents have cut off my phone bill. All alone in the world, the poor lady. Uh, that's her mugshot, by the way, from when they arrested her, from nuisance calling 911. Um, now, maybe you felt alone in the world, maybe to a greater degree than she did. In fact, I hope so. I, I, I just, does anyone think that's an appropriate action to call triple zero if your mobile phone has been cut off by your parents? <laughs> You're not 36 yet, mate, so it's okay. It's fine. Uh, Probably not an appropriate action, is it? But there are times that are a bit more serious than having no mobile phone reception, aren't there? Um, there are times that we feel isolated in the world. Maybe it's from a, a, a friendship group. Maybe it's um, at your workplace. Something's gone down and you've borne the brunt of the blame and you're sitting there and everyone else is looking at you, shaking their head. Um, what about as a follower of Jesus, as Christians? He promises us, I will be with you until the end of the age. And yet we look around the world and things seem so uncertain, don't they? We get uncertain. Is he really with us? And we feel alone. And we feel like no one understands us. The people that, we, that know us don't seem to care that we follow him. We can feel like questioning him. Is he really looking after us at all? There's a guy called Dion who's a villager in rural Vietnam. And he was the only Christian in his village. In his village, um, it was the, a place where they offered sacrifices to idols. He stood out when he became a Christian because he said, well, I'm not doing that anymore. And so the cops organize, the local police, the militia, whatever you call them, they organize a screening in the public square of a movie saying that Christianity is the cause of all world poverty. And Dion's a Christian. This is going to be bad for our village. He said, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I believe in God. Jesus is powerful. He's going to, going to come back. And so then they started bringing him out night by night into the village square, humiliating him, trying to make him give up, give up his faith. They confiscated his fields, they destroyed his crops, they destroyed his house, they killed his ducks. He fled on foot, unable to live in that village any longer, all alone. Samson, a guy from a, a Central Asian country, I believe either Pakistan or Afghanistan, although it's not clear, um, he, it was a predominantly Muslim country, he became a Christian and it became known he was a Christian. Sunday night, 2am, they came to kill him. Eight people with machine guns and knives. They knocked on the door, they said, come with us. They took him to a garbage dump and they said, today you will give up this Christian faith you profess. Jesus is not God. He cannot save you. 
They grabbed his throat. They pulled it back. They put a knife to his throat and said, what do you want to say? Samson said, Jesus loves you. I forgive you for what you're going to do. They said, you have two weeks. We're going to come back and kill you. They threw him back in the truck, took him home. And they said, you're a fool. We're going to kill you. How would you feel if you were Dion or Samson? Fairly isolated, all alone, wondering, God, what's going on here? What have you done with me? How am I in this situation? Now, we come to Mark 6 this morning and into that kind of situation and into our situations. This word speaks. These feelings of being lost and all alone. God's word speaks to us here. So if you've got your Bible open, we'll have a look together. It starts off with a bit of a disappointing homecoming for Jesus in verse 1 there. Um, We see there, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. Um, Jesus goes back to his hometown, which is, does anyone know? Nazareth, yeah, that's right. He's been teaching in the communities up here near Capernaum, all right, around the Lake Tiberias, and this is kind of his hometown, Nazareth. And Nazareth is a bit of a, an insignificant village. We know it because it's Jesus' hometown, but it wasn't like a famous place. I'd name a suburb and say it's like that, but last time I did that, I got in trouble, so I won't, I won't go there again. Um, it's, it's, it's not near the main centers of population. It's sort of on the outskirts. Not much goes on there. Some, they would have heard of Jesus there, okay? The news would have come. And so when he comes to town, they say, come to the synagogue in verse 2. Come and speak, which is a big invitation. They expect something. They want to hear what all the fuss is about. And he speaks, and look what happens in verse 2. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? They're amazed, but at the same time, they're a bit confused. Verse 3, is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They say, hang on, who does he think he is? Didn't he grow up here? Wasn't he playing handball with his brother at the side? How can he do that? And they took offense. He's just a local kid. He's nobody. And I think the most remarkable thing, I don't know if you noticed it while Deborah was reading for us, but The most remarkable thing there is that Jesus is unable to do any mighty works amongst them. Isn't that amazing to see that written there? He can't do it. Why? Is he not powerful enough? Are they right? No, it's because of their unbelief. Remember the woman, with she touches his cloak and she gets made well? Jairus, his daughter, is in bed. He says, just come and just come and see her. You can make her well. It's their faith that's commended, right? But in this, this village, they don't believe. They don't want to believe. And Jesus is amazed in verse 6. He marveled because of their unbelief. Normally people hear Jesus and they say, wow, this is amazing. But here in his hometown, Jesus says, wow, this is amazing. The lack of belief in this place. And I think there's a challenge here for us um, as his followers in the 21st century. Uh, I mean, we probably expect people to react the same way, don't we? Wow, Jesus is amazing. But they don't, do they? Instead, we're more like, wow, look at the unbelief. We, we, know, that, we know Jesus is the Savior of the world. We know that. We accept that. That's fantastic. We know we've got this wonderful message to share with people. We know we have this great good news. But sometimes we wonder what's going on. What is actually happening in this world we live in? Why are people so hard-hearted? And we marvel at their unbelief. But we also should be careful not to 
be too cynical ourselves because we can get to the stage where we think, well, no one's ever going to believe. It'll never make a difference in anyone's life. Why do we even bother? And it's easy to be cynical. Um, and especially when you hear about um, famous people who say they follow Jesus. Anyone know who that is? Kanye. Yep, Kanye West. Um, he said last year he became a Christian, right? Which led to this kind of outburst on Twitter. All right. Kanye West isn't a Christian, says Aaron, Aaron of the wild. All right. People have said that, so that he's been given a hard time. Now, is he a Christian or not? Well, none of us know him personally. How are we supposed to know? But it's so easy to become cynical because we think like those in Jesus' hometown. Oh, this is ridiculous. No one's ever going to believe this. And we give up. Who's this? Justin Bieber. He said recently that he's decided to follow Jesus. What do you reckon Aaron of the wild thinks? Cynical? Aaron of the wild is Justin Bieber. So he knows. Is that right, Jim? You can't quite see it clearly, but you're right. It is Justin Bieber there. Uh, no, it's not. Um, could be. But we get cynical, don't we? And we get caught in this trap of thinking, well, are they, aren't they? But that's not the important question. We've got to be careful, don't we? Don't become so cynical. Don't put up our walls and say someone can only be truly saved if they think exactly what we think already and behave in exactly the same way as us. Jesus is astonished at the lack of faith in his hometown. And we are probably astonished by the lack of faith as well. But that shouldn't stop us, as Jesus did, putting the message forward and saying, yes, we make mistakes in our Christian walk, but we have a great God who saves us. And maybe not being so cynical of others who say they follow. Well, you can't go on holidays at the moment because pretty much every country is closed. But if you could go, what would you pack to take with you? You'd get your big suitcase, what would you put in? You can't say that while I've got a mouthful of water, Andrew. Okay, toilet paper, what else would you take? Well, that's because you're Aussie, right? So Aussies, we love our toilet paper. Yeah, what else? Hand sanitizer. Okay, what else? Your Bible? Okay, what else would you take? Lots of undies. Passport. Vegemite, swimmers, and your miniature horse, right? Yes? This, uh, this is um, uh, a lady uh, by the name of Ronica, and this is a horse by the name of Fred, a real horse, and he's got a fancy get-up on. And Fred is going on a holiday with Ronica because she wants to take everything with her. You'll see she's got her bag and her sleeping mat. I'm not sure why she needs a sleeping mat because she's flying first class with Fred. So she can obviously afford to sleep, uh, a bed to sleep in when she gets there. And here's good old Fred and some astonished passengers, the one taking the photo here and this other one here also taking a photo because they can't believe there's a horse in first class in the aeroplane. Anyone ever flown first, first class? No. It's insulting that a pony's there, isn't it? It's ridiculous. She took everything with her. All right, now, uh, we see here in Mark, Jesus sends his 12 apostles out, but they're not to take their horse with them. In fact, they're basically told to take very little. What are they told to take? Have a look there. The staff, their sandals, and their tunic. That's about it, right? Why is Jesus so harsh on them? Go out and go on a mission. Just take your shoes, your walking stick, and your tunic. Why? Why does he say this? Is it because what? Yeah, they don't need their faith. It's true. They're, they're, yes, it's about faith. I want to put a, a verse up on the screen here from Exodus 12. It says here, In this manner you shall eat it, the Passover, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, is the Lord's Passover. All right, this is as they're about to come out of Egypt. God's about to save his people there, right? The Passover lamb is to be prepared. They eat that, and off they go. Their markings on the door, they're saved, right? And they travel through the desert in faith. Here, 
Do they take the same things? Exactly the same things, isn't it? Their staff, their sandals, and their tunic, right? That's it. Why? Because the real Passover lamb is here, Jesus, the one who comes to save us. And there to go, trusting in him, that they'll be provided for. Frankly, it's not that big a deal because in first century Israel, as travelers came around, you were expected to house them, right? So you would look after them. So that's, they're, not, they're not going to be like, a wonderful eat. No, they'll, they'll get taken care of. Some people will reject them, we see there in the message, verse 11. Some will not receive you. So shake the dust off your feet. That is, just say, I'm not even associating with this place anymore. It's a sign of judgment, isn't it? So they're saying, well, if they don't believe, that's on their own head. They're calling judgment on themselves. Just leave them alone with that. Um, how successful is their mini-mission? Verses 12 and 13, what happens? They speak the word and amazing things happen. A great contrast with Jesus' hometown. He goes home, nothing happens. He sends out the 12. Amazing things happen. Because they're obviously finding faith, people who believe, who are saying, tell us more. What is this message? We want to hear more. And some things about what they're doing are quite unique, right? Some things about their mission. But other things are fairly common to what all Jesus followers ought to be doing, right? Us included. In some ways, for them, it's a training mission, a practice for what they're going to do after his death and resurrection. He's equipping them for what needs to be done. It's not essential now as Christians to have only one set of clothing and to wear sandals. Thank goodness. Hey? Um, is anyone wearing sandals? Have I offended anyone now? Good. No. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing that either. But what's the point? We should be looking to get the message of forgiveness from sin out there to a world that is thirsty for the truth, that is longing to hear, that must know, that badly needs to hear it. A world that's terrified of itself where people are fighting in the supermarkets for toilet paper. It's insane. They need, to, they need to hear about a confidence they can have that goes beyond the feeble things of this world. Now, how do we get that message out? Well, it's quite simple. You just speak it. But we, we've had a few things that we're trying to do as a church together. Um, one of them is uh, the Super Sunday that's coming up on March the 29th, okay? I've asked you to be praying for someone and trying to invite someone. Hopefully you've done that. Um, if not, it's two weeks away, so invite that person to come along, all right? What's the worst thing they're going to say to you? No. And will that shatter you? If it will, then build up your confidence and be prepared for it, because take it. I reckon it's worth it. Um, that Sunday also launches our mission week. We've got um, the mission timetable there. There's a whole bunch of stuff written on there that looks very exciting. We'll email that out to everyone. You can have a look at it. But during that mission week, maybe you can make half a day in your workplace and say, you know what, can I come in a few hours late so I can you know, come down um, and have chats with the preschool parents when they drop off? Um, could I maybe get a, um, a, a half day to come to the English for Life and see what happens there? Could I be at the train station in the morning? Could I, whatever it is, could I take half a day? Could I come along with the Kids Alive that week? Whatever it might be. See if you can do that at work um, and come along and help more with the things. And the person you invite to Super Sunday, there's some other things going on there. Invite them to those things as well. I wonder, does anyone know who this man is? One of the great presidents of the United States of America. Uh, I don't know him personally, so I have no idea if he's good or not. But um, what I do know is that he loves his Kentucky Fried Chicken. There he is. Look how happy he is. He's got his Kentucky Fried Chicken, which he eats with a spoon, you can see there. And he's on Air Force One, and uh, he's loving it. He also loves having McDonald's, which he's eating there on Air Force One, as you can see again. Pensive. I believe he posed for that photo. I'm not sure, though. Um, and in fact, he loves his fast food so much that he hosted a reception at the White House, and look what he gave them. McDonald's. 
Burger King and, hey, and oh, Porto, yeah, whatever it is. Yes, he, he, Twinkies, I don't know, he's got everything there, right? Junk food, he loves it. Um, I read a, a, an article talking about Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who used to be um, Trump's doctor. And he was asked how a man who consumes so much bad food can be so healthy at his age. Uh, he said, well, it's just genetics. Some people have great genes. If he'd eaten healthier for the last 20 years, he could live till he's 200. And he'd still be, pre- wouldn't it be good if he was president till he's 200? Wouldn't that be great? Um, but the doctor, the doctor tried, okay? The doctor tried to convince Trump to be healthier, but he didn't want to hear the message. And so then he went to desperate measures and he started trying to force him to eat vegetables. He did the cauliflower puree in the mashed potato. You know how you do that one? Does anyone get that one done for them at home? Yeah, Noah, okay, yeah. Oh, is it for you? John does it for you, Lara, is that right? Yeah, yeah, make your veggies. Um, he tried to make him healthier, but Trump didn't want to hear the message. And we look back at Mark, we, we see here someone, also a ruler, not wanting to hear the message. It's King Herod, king of the Jews. He's not the one who was king when Jesus was born. He's a different one. It's his descendant, King Herod Antipas, this guy. Um, he had a bit of a situation with John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist had seen that Herod, well, basically stole his brother's wife. And he said, look, it's not right. You can't do that. To which Herod said, I don't care. I'm the king. And John the Baptist said, no, 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 you can't do that. And the, what, the person that he stole, the wife that he stole, not his actual wife, the one he stole, he got rid of the, the actual wife. He, there, she got so angry with Herod that she said, let's kill him. Uh, not with John the Baptist. Let's kill John the Baptist, not Herod. Right? And so then Herod was a bit scared to do that, so they threw him in jail. But Herod was curious. Look at verse 20. Herod would bring him out and chat to him. He kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard him gladly. There's some confusion about what's going on. You're speaking something. It's a message I, I feel like I need to hear, but I, I've got my barriers up. I don't want to hear it. But he had John the Baptist put to death in the end, as we saw there. Why? Basically because of peer pressure. Isn't that right? Verse 22. He makes a promise in front of the crowd. When Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. He promises in front of his guests he'll give her half his kingdom. All right? Whatever you want. And so she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And he's too scared to break his word to his guests. Isn't there some irony here? He doesn't want to be seen as a liar. And so he murders someone. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that tragic? You've got the option, right? I'm going to put to you now. Um, if you had the choice between you have to murder someone or break a promise, what would you do? If anyone says murder, I might have to report you to somebody. I'm pretty sure that's probably not good. But Herod thinks, no, no, I can't be caught in this trap. Maybe you don't make a dumb promise in the first place like Herod. But the peer pressure on him was too much. And so he has John the Baptist executed. Because he wanted to conform and be like everyone else. A man who is curious, who who is saying things that were challenging him. He says, no, 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 I, I can't deal with this. And I want to put it to you that we face that similar pressure. Not that any of us are kings, but we face the pressure to conform and be like everyone else. The world goes on and on, we get told. Just, just do what everyone else does. That's the way you should live. Is it really? Because the way that we get told to live doesn't seem to work for the people who are living that way. There's not a lot of kindness that we see. Again, you look at the scenes on TV. We're, we're in panic and fear. We're buying all the rice, all the pasta, all the canned goods. The supermarkets are empty. 
they're like, wow, business has never been so good. This is great. Um, but why? Because people are desperate to prolong their days. But who knows when their number's up? People don't know, do they? The way they're living, it, it's, it's futile. But we get pressured to live the same way. I walked into the shop um, the, during the week and I was just buying a block of cheese. And I walked in the shop and I looked around and there's, all the shelves were stripped bare. There was no toilet paper, obviously. Uh, there, was, there was no rice, there was no pasta, there was no oats. There was nothing, canned goods all out. I saw a guy crawling along the ground, right? And looking under where the rice was. And then he burrows underneath and he comes out triumphant with one little bag of brown rice in his hand. And then he looks at me because I've been standing there looking in shock. I'm like, wow, look at this. And he looks at me and he, he goes, it's probably bad and puts it down. I go, didn't you want that? He goes, yeah, and grabs it and runs away. <laughs> We're terrified. Well, he doesn't know what he's doing. I didn't know what he was doing. I have a friend and, she, uh, and he's at the, um, he's at the uh, supermarket going from the car park up. All right, there's a lift and the lift's closed. Lift comes down, lady walks out, shopping trolley full of toilet paper. And he stops, he looks at her. And she stops and looks back at him. And then she says to him, I don't even know what I'm doing. And off she goes with her toilet paper. <laughs> we're living in fear. and The way we're living is futile, it's ridiculous. Because we're terrified of something, okay? Now, perhaps this is a, a dreadful virus that will kill us all, all right? But you know what? We know that we need not even fear death. Because we have... A saviour who has conquered death. He's no good to you if you don't believe in him. It's futile. We see it in his home village. He just heals a few people. That's it. Because they don't want to believe. He's nobody. He's re- some Aussies. Oh, Jesus didn't even exist. That's one of the least mentally capable statements to make, isn't it? Because it's obviously existed, right? But some people say that. Because they don't want to believe. And we're tempted, we're pressured to conform and live the same way. When we feel lost and alone, isn't it because we're looking in the wrong places? Shouldn't we be looking to what God has done for us in Jesus? Think about your faith. The times we feel lost and alone, we might not be. We, we heard about Dion at the start. Remember, he fled his village in fear. All right. What does he say now? Found and interviewed in another village. He says, if you tell me to deny my faith, I'll never do it. I always pray for them. The people who came and beat me, my wife and my son, and destroyed all my stuff. They don't know about God, and God is a heart-changing God. And I just pray that one day they would come to know that God and become a Christian. What about Samson? Given two weeks, we're going to come back and kill you. Convert to Islam before we return, or we will come and take and kill you in front of your family. Two weeks later, they return. 30 of them, a small army. We want to talk, Samson. We're the ones who are going to kill you. He comes outside. What can he do? He says, if you're going to kill me, just give me five minutes to hug my wife and children. They say, no, no, we're not going to kill you today. Two leaders of the group step forward. They explain to him how they had a little leaders conference for the Mujahideen. 24 of them up in the hills. They came back down from the hills. The government had set an ambush, gunned down, shooting at them. They dropped on the floor and they said, while we were lying on the floor, bullets going overhead, you came to us, Samson, and you said, Jump in the river and you'll survive. So we rolled in the river. The other 22, all dead. How did you come to us? Why did you come to us? And how were you not shot? He says, I didn't come to you. That wasn't me. He said, it must have been God giving you a message and telling you to look for me because I'm his servant. And here you are. 
And I can tell you, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He can give you salvation. The men throw down their guns. So do the 28 behind them. This guy speaks the truth. We serve Christ now. We accept Jesus. It's easy to feel alone, isn't it? But often that's because we don't look in the right places. We think, has God got a solution? And we know the answer. Of course he does. And so maybe in times of uncertainty, distress, despair, we can ask ourselves that question. Has God got a solution? And reassure ourselves with the answer, yes, he does. And we see here Jesus facing the cynics. We'll face those same cynics in our world, won't we? We see John the Baptist facing absolute rejection, and we'll face that too. And yet we see the messengers going out into a world, telling them to conform, and yet trusting in God, speaking his word, and seeing great change. You know, we have a great message that can change this world that we live in, that will see people move beyond fear. That's the, that's the message we've got to keep holding out. Let me pray for us. Father, we know that our king was rejected, that his earliest followers were, and we know we will be in so many ways. And yet, Father, help us know we are not lost and alone, that you are with us, that you care for us. And Father, we thank you for amazing stories that we can hear. Our stories are often not even in the same league, and yet they are our stories. And help us, Father, help hold out in those times and in those stories, in those situations, the message of hope that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to grab your news sheet there, there's um, a couple of uh, things in there to bring to your attention. Um, just a few things, really. The first is the AGM. The church AGM is next Sunday, 15th of March, 4 p.m. right here. Please come along to that one. And the second main one is the Moore College mission team that's coming. Um, I think we might be looking for one more billet still. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, but if you can uh, host a student for the week, just write on the back of your communication card, billet. All right, and uh, we would love you to look after someone for the week. Um, if you want to look after someone but you feel like you haven't got a spare bed, um, write down meals on the back of your card because there, there might be a way that we can work that out with someone else as well. Um, okay, oh, also, if you're praying for somebody to, bring, to come to Super Sunday, maybe pop their name on the back of the communication card today as well and um, at our staff meeting this week, we'll pray for that person as well um, with you so that... They might come along too. There's a few other things. There's the compassion trip. If you haven't read about that, please do so. Um, we are just, just this morning, morning tea, we're going to just try and serve things with tongs, just a way of being aware um, and um, having some safe food practices in the next little while. So we've just been given a recommendation that that's a good way to go. So if you can use the tongs with the food, that'd be great. Um, and if someone drops their food on the floor, don't jump on it and eat it. Might not be the best thing to do. Um, Probably isn't normally anyway. Okay, we're going to pray for some of those things. So if you, will you join me? Oh, wait, before we do that, we have our evangelism tip for the week. Here, we've had a few tips along. You have to be an expert. Let's talk about your story. Second tip was at 10.02 every day, pray Luke 10 verse 2. Harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Send out laborers into the harvest. Tip three was pray for opportunities to share Jesus with those around you. Take the opportunities with courage. And tip four, know your story. Be genuine. Talk about your story. Tip five. It's not about you. So don't be put off by the response you receive. This goes both ways, right? So if someone's like rude to you, don't worry, it's not about you. But if they accept and they're like, yes, I can't wait to hear more about this, again, that's not because you're awesome. Sorry, but that's because God's at work there. All right. So remember, it's not about you. 
And it gives you some confidence because you're just presenting something. You're just saying, oh, well, here's the good news. And it's up to people what they do with that. Okay, now we're going to pray. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for um, this wonderful good news of Jesus. We thank you that we have the privilege of being involved in your mission in this world. Help us to be aware that we are just your messengers. Help us to put that message out to people, to invite them to come to things, to live genuine lives. And Father, we pray that you'll be at work in our lives and in the life of this church, seeing people come to know you. We pray for Super Sunday coming up, that there might be um, people prompted to come along. We thank you for those who've been invited already. We pray um, for all the different groups associated with the church that they might come along, whether it's the um, Andu um, families or the Kids Alive families, Ignite a Light. We pray they might come along to the different Super Sundays that we have on. Uh, Father, we pray for our church and that we'll be um, reaching out and that we might see people come to know and love you this year here. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.